I've actually been accused of shoveling my food in two different places in the world, in the UK and in, uh, in India. So that's all right, though. I'm a, I'm a shoveler, you know. They think that we Americans shovel our food because we use the, the shovel. I'm like, that's what that's for. The curve's not to not use it, just to scoop stuff up. I mean, you don't try to dig something up with the other side, right, of the, of the shovel. Come on, man, you know. Anybody with me on that? No? No? Yeah? Look, you're about to be eating this weekend probably, so or you already are, so you should be a professional by now. If you would, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And when we dive into the prophets, man, it's, it's always such a, such a daunting task, the pro, especially some of the major prophets. Now, you may understand the distinction already, but I'll just simply remind you that there are major prophets... Uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, even Daniel's included as a major prophet. And then there are 12 minor prophets. Sometimes just simply referred to as the 12. And actually, if you group all 12 of those last books in the Old Testament together, they're, not, they're about as long as Isaiah itself. <laughs> Which is why we call Isaiah a, a major prophet and the other guys minor. is not because they're of more significance, but instead... They're a little more wordy. So Ezekiel is one of these major prophets. He's quite wordy, which is always a little more difficult to study the entire book because of its breadth and depth. But these prophets, when you enter into this sort of writing, it is a different ballgame. Have you noticed? This is not Gospels. This is not Epistles. This is not apocalyptic necessarily. There is some apocalyptic literature. It's not poetry, although it is poetic. So it's a different ball game as you jump in here. But let's, let's dive in, and I just want to read a few of the verses here in Ezekiel chapter 1. One of my favorite prophets here. Uh, notice, notice this, on his 30th birthday, check this out. In the 30th year, in the 4th month, on the 5th day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of, Je- of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And then skip down, if you will, to verse 26. And, a, and, and the verses we skip, by the way, I'd love for you to go, go back and read that uh, t- this afternoon. Quite a vision he sees. A storm's coming. There are four creatures with four faces, with four wings, going in different directions with wheels. And it's this interesting picture that the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, would have been very familiar with, but we not. Then notice what happens here in 26. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, (laughs) in appearance like sapphire, and seated above... The likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. The downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. 
Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, notice his response, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me And he said to me, Son of man, I send you. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you chose to send a revelation in the form of a vision to Ezekiel. May we now, by the same Spirit gain what you want us to this morning from your word. And may we respond to that word like Ezekiel did. We pray in your name. Amen. Two hundred and forty years ago, a declaration was made. A document was forged and signed by 56 men. And here that document is. This is not the original one, I didn't so don't don't call the cops, okay? But this is a replica that I've not yet framed yet, but uh but I wanted to show you this dec- 240 years ago this was this was signed and put into effect uh, and started what we now know as the United States of America. And let me look here. Not only that, 2,609 years ago, this declaration came to Ezekiel that we just read. I mean, 240 years sounds like a long time to us Americans because we're all about the new. You know what I mean? Just drive down 72 and you'll see quite a bit of new. We're all about the new phone and new technology and this sort of thing. But, but this is, you know, even the old stuff in America is not old. What we just read, that's old. 2,609 years ago to the very month, July, Ezekiel received a declaration that changed his life and the prophecy that can change our own life. So, did you notice, did you catch at the beginning here of Ezekiel how specific he is? I mean, it's almost, it's almost overkill, isn't it? Unless you're of the engineering type, you're like, oh, I like the detail he has here. I appreciate that. On the 30th year, the fourth month, on the fifth day I was among the exiles. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin, his exile. So he's very specific about this time frame because time matters. And this declaration that he receives is from God. This word, this vision is about what God is doing in the world. And he opens up Ezekiel's eyes to see what he's doing and invites Ezekiel along with him in that work. Doesn't he do the same for us today? Yes. He wants to show us a vision for our life, for this church, 
so that we might join Him as He works in the world to save it. There's really, there's really three things I want to share with you concerning this declaration and this declaration together. And I want to start with the fact of a declaration. A declaration, of course, is a declaring of something. And that means that you're probably breaking from something else, doesn't it? I mean, the, the wording here uh, in, in this document is pretty severe. In other words, it's not just saying, you know what, we're just going to kind of meander away from the British. We're going to kind of work our way away from them. No, we are ceasing all ties with them. We're abolishing. I mean, there's, there's terminology here in the Declaration talking about dissolving the bands that connect them. Separation. Abolish it. And with all prophets and with all gospel and with all preaching, there must be bad news. Because there is bad news. Because there is a bad situation. Because things have turned badly for us and in us. Remember, it runs right through us. It's not us against them. And these individuals, these 56 and many more, found their situation intolerable. Found their situation dire. Bad. And so they broke ties. They dissolved that relationship. And what I want to declare to you today is you too can dissolve some relationships with sin, with the enemy, with the demonic. You too can dissolve those bands that keep you down. There is healing in Jesus Christ. But we must cut the cord. Now we all have default positions that we go to. You know, this is, this is told to us by psychologists. When, when something bad happens, you go to your default. But our default can change. People can change because God is in the business of changing hearts. I've seen it. My dad is an example among all other people of a heart that can change and affect the hearts of many. He's calling you to dissolve certain relationships so that He can move in to bring healing. But there must be bad news, and that is somebody's getting fired. You're going to have to fire some things from your life. You're going to have to cut them off, abolish them, separate from them. And that's bad news because you're used to them. You like that. You're doing it because it's what you know. But some of those things must stop. And I, you know, I hesitate always, this is a personal thing, but I hesitate always to just give a list. I don't find lists very helpful um, because people go to the same things, you know. I mean, you, you, you could probably start guessing. Oh, yeah, here's the things, you know, alcohol and, you know, cussing and this. Look, there's deeper issues sometimes than those surface things that people can see on the outside, like pride. Yes. Like self-centeredness. That's why Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says the worst of all sins is pride. Selfishness. A heart turned in on itself that can look great to everybody else on the outside, but inside, dead man's bones. Isn't this why Jesus was so clear and harsh toward the Pharisees? They had everything going for them on the outside, but inside, their heart was not for God, but self. Self must 
die. We must break the bands that tie us and chain us down and keep us down with this. Just as they did 240 years ago, today may be a date to be remembered in your life. You see, all of us need times and specific dates where we can drive down a stake and say something happened here. But we've got to make that declaration. We've got to step out on faith. And we don't always know how it's going to turn out. They didn't. But they knew they couldn't stay in the same situation. Have you ever been there before? With your own selfishness and sin and pride and self-loathing? Whatever it may be for you. Caught up in the bonds of sin. Have you ever got to the point where you're just fed up? Dissolve it. Only by the Spirit can you truly uproot sin in your life. But with the Spirit's help, He can bring fire that cleanses. Did you catch in this vision, among other visions, think of Isaiah, think of Jeremiah, think of others, how much fire is talked about in dealing with God? And then go to Hebrews, our God is an all-consuming fire. And this fire that is mesmerizing and glorious and awesome is also inviting us in. (laughs) You say, whoa, that's not good. Well, He can be faithful to invite you into His blast furnace so that you remain, but that our sin is burned away. That's what His sanctifying power does. That's what the Spirit comes to do with these tongues of fire. Cleanse our language toward one another for the gospel's sake, for good news. So, here's the thing. God has already declared His love for us, hasn't He? In Jesus Christ, He's already declared His love for us. The Scripture says this, God has already proven His love toward us. He's already done it. It's a finished thing. But... We now must apply that grace to our own lives. And the Spirit comes to do that. Not only is God with us and for us, but He must be in us. Have you noticed the language with the Spirit? And by the way, Ezekiel is very keen on the Holy Spirit. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, you don't have the Pentecostal language, if you will, in the Old Testament a lot, but the prophets bring it hardcore. In particular, Ezekiel. He's very keen on the Holy Spirit. Don't you remember the different stories that we see in Ezekiel? Uh, actually, there's, there's one in chapters 8 through 11 where the Spirit takes him to the temple and shows him the corruption in the temple and basically takes him on a tour through the corruption of the temple and the religious establishment at that time. And I won't go through all of the, the details, but read 8 through 11 if you would like to. And essentially, the Spirit moves from the holiest of holies, you remember that, to the top of the cherubim, which we're facing over that, to then the gate, to then a mountain that was near the temple, and then ceases to be with them. In other words, the Spirit departs. Why? Because there was no love for God in the land. Not in that temple. 
he did not find a home. Scripture says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. If He gives us that kind of language, doesn't it mean you can? It's true. Yes. It's true. I can. We can. We must not. The term, you may be familiar with it, when it says the Spirit leaves the temple in chapter 9, is actually Ichabod. Are you familiar with this? Maybe from your story of the headless horseman, I think. Ichabod is written on the church. Ichabod means the spirit departs. The glory, literally, the glory has departed. Is there glory in your life? Because glory has to do with God, not you. When there's glory in someone's life, you know God lives there. You've been around people like this? You know God is in their heart. I have some friends of mine, I have some mentors of mine, who when I'm around them, I feel like I've been with God. Mustn't He dwell in us like that? His glory? Because you know it's not that person. You know it's not that person. You see Jesus in that person. A oneness. Just like when you see me, you know Jessica's not far behind. Mustn't Jesus be in our life like that? When you see us, you know children are behind. Mustn't the Holy Spirit be like that in our life? Present? Trailing us, going before us, in us? Amen, He must. And how do we receive this declaration of grace that's already been made? By faith. Scripture is very clear. Trust God. It's by an act of faith on our part to receive that work, to open up our heart. Imagine God pouring out His rain and grace is like the rain. If you go indoors and hide, you're not going to get wet. Instead, we must expose ourselves to His grace. Shouldn't we? How do we do that? Very easy, actually. You're doing it right now. You're obeying Jesus right now. Of one, of his, one of His places that is sure to shower today, His grace, is right here in church. Amen. That's a surefire place to receive His grace. He's told us this. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but instead meet together. In particular, to worship together. This is a place where His grace has been poured out over and over again for over 2,000 years now in the church. Not only that, through prayer. When you pray to God, turn yourself to God. And not just inward to yourself, but upward to God. When we pray, that's a way we receive His grace. When we read the Scripture, it's a, this is a promised way to receive God's grace. You need His grace in your life? Then you must Put this in you. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. These are ways that Jesus instituted for us to receive His grace. In other words, He promises to be in these acts that we do. I tried to say something to the kids a little moment ago about liturgy. I didn't use the term liturgy. 
But when I say things are done in a particular way, that's liturgical. That's a, that's a word that's used in church to mean the form of worship that we do. And if you notice, there is a form of worship. And you know what? Ezekiel would have been very liturgical. Did you catch here that he was actually a priest? He trained to be a priest. He went to Bible college and to seminary, and he got the training needed. And at 30 years old, that was when you could finally go into the temple and actually do the sacrifice, do what you were called to do. And at 30 years old, guess what happens to him? He gets deported, exiled to a foreign land. You say, oh man, that that really stinks. Now he's got to do his business over in a foreign land. No, 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 you don't understand. The business had to be done in Jerusalem. You can't set up a makeshift place. There were no synagogues at this point. Only the temple. That's where every sacrifice ever made was made. Including Jesus's. He was out of job. He had a job. Studied it for 30 years, been prepared all of his life for this work. And now he can't do it because once you entered a foreign land, you could never enter the temple. Not in the Holy of Holies. Not the holy place. And God calls him now to be a prophet. So we have a, a man trained to be a priest that now takes a different vocation as a prophet. And you'll see his priestly liturgical side coming out in this book of Ezekiel. Read it. You'll love it. There's vivid images here. This is not a boring book. Trust me. You say, are you saying there's some boring books? Well, preference, right? Preference. Some people like law, you know. Um, They're lawyers, right? But some people like the vivid stories where things blow up. Then read Ezekiel. Not only that. The Spirit finds a place in another vision. Do you remember this in in Ezekiel 37? The dry bones coming up. They're rattling like some skeletal army. Then flesh and sinews and tendons come on. And they're still lifeless with now flesh and bones. And then the Spirit, the wind... And I mean, it's a beautiful chapter. Again, I wish I could read Hebrew just to read that chapter because of how many times the Spirit is used in in that one chapter. He brings life to death. Resurrects us. You know, we mentioned three deaths. I remember being at a Nana's funeral and speaking there. And as she was lying in the middle of the church, which she'd have never been comfortable with, by the way. <laughs> but now we were celebrating her life. Her eyes were closed. And I pointed at that lady who we love and who we know. And I said, one day those eyes that have closed, they will open to new life in that body. Of course she's alive in heaven, but that body will be made alive again and glorified for all eternity. That's hope! As we place them in the ground, it's like a seed 
that will one day explode into new life because of Jesus. And that's good news. That's a declaration we can believe in. And a date. So a declaration, but also a date. Notice, we're, we're, you know, we're cooking out and stuff tomorrow. You're probably eating, eating big, you know. Uh, celebrating. Probably, actually, you've probably been doing that all weekend, haven't you? We just use the excuse all weekend, not just on July 4th. But, you know, we're doing... Why? Because July 4th means something to us. It was funny to me. When I was in Northern Ireland for three months doing a pastoral internship there, when I was in college... It came around July 4th and I was stuck over there. And they even had a parade. I'm like, guys, do y'all know what we're celebrating? We're celebrating that we beat you. <laughs> I mean, y'all really want to celebrate this? I'm, I'm game, you know? But they actually had a 4th of July party. Uh, I thought it was funny, but... Um, dates are important to us, aren't they? Should be. If you miss your anniversary, you'll be reminded that they're important. You miss a friend's birthday, you'll be reminded that they're important, won't you? We have certain dates that mean something because something important happened there. Shouldn't we in our Christian life? Now, I don't mean that you need to know date and time of everything that happened. But I think it's good to know the year. I think it's good to drive down some stakes sometimes to put up some Ebenezer's. Remember that word? You know, here I raise my Ebenezer. You know. Ebenezer is not a guy. <laughs> um, rather, it's a stone of remembrance. Abraham did this. He would put up these stones to remember something that happened there. You remember even Jacob did this. Jacob's ladder we talk about, which is more like a stair- staircase. He put stones there to remember what happened. Do you have some stones in your life as you look back? Do you have some markers? Do you have some, you have some stakes that have been driven into the ground to say, you know what, something happened there. I, de- I declared that I was His in that year, in that month, on that day. In 1986, that's an important day for me. That's when I sat down with my father and I was five years old. And I said, Daddy, I want Jesus in my heart. And I actually remember that moment. That wasn't some kind of angelic thing or anything like that, but I remember praying with Him. I remember, I remember knowing the need for Jesus in my life, and that was enough. God did a work. And then I remember in 1999, God did a deeper work. And since then, there are particular times. There's dates for me that are important. What are the dates for you in your spiritual life? If not, let's drive down a stake. Ask the Lord, Lord, do something, let me drive down a stake into the ground of my life to make sure that I've got some moments where I can celebrate. Because celebrating is fun, isn't it? Don't we need to do that? I mean, that's why we remember every year when, when Harvest Point was planted. It's because we need to have meals with each other. We need to have times of remembrance. God declares we must. And so we need a date. But we also, lastly not only have a declaration as Christians, as Americans, and a date to celebrate, but we also have a document, don't we? Yes. We've got our document safely tucked away and there's plenty of replicas. And you know what? God has His document tucked away and there's plenty of replicas for free. Say free? Well, we can get you a Bible for free if you need it. Um... This is our document that should mean so much to us. 
that declares our freedom in Jesus Christ. That declares our love for God and others. That gives us the wisdom. And you know what? This word is not just a mute word. It's living. In particular, living in Jesus Christ. Written large in Jesus Christ. He fulfills these words of Ezekiel even. And it's also, the Scripture will say, written on our hearts. You remember this from the Bible? Even Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel all are going to say, there's coming a day when it's not going to be etched into stone, had to be carried around somewhere. It's not going to be bound in a book, but instead bound in our heart. It's going to be in our heart. Written, literally, the Scripture says, in our hearts. And so we must make sure that's happening. We must be reading the Scriptures. We must be studying the Scriptures. We must be getting aid and help. Because trust me, you dive into this, you're going to need some help reading it. No joke. There's some words and you're like, what does that even mean? What was the context of that? I mean, you start reading about the fist guys that, that signed this thing. Not all of them had good ends. They were signing their fortunes away, they told us. They were signing their, their welfare away, their homes Literally, they said at the end, we pledge our lives, our fortune, our sacred honor. Can we do that for Jesus? So, Isaiah, sorry, Ezekiel responds when he sees the glory of God by bowing his face to the ground, hearing a call from the Spirit to go. You ever notice how many times that happens? That's why anytime somebody says, you know, to me, hey, I got a new revelation from God. Got a new, got a new word. Got a new word. And they're all just about something new they discovered. That's not a revelation from God. God's already given His revelation. That's just something new you're learning. That's okay to learn stuff new, but don't call it... Re- no, no. Revelation is always going to include God calling you to go out. You read Isaiah's call. You read Jeremiah's call. You read Ezekiel's call. You read the call of the disciples, the call of Levi we talked about just the other week. What's the call? Follow me, and I'm going to send you out as lambs among wolves. Send you out into the field to work. That's what Harvest Point is made for. The whole name. I know it's confusing because there's a place called Harvest, but no, no, no. We're not that city or town or whatever that is. But instead, we're a place, a point in God's world where we are calling workers in to be equipped and sent out. It's not about us. We're growing something that we can share with the world. This is what Ezekiel's call was to. This is what our call is to. We have a declaration. We have a date. (laughs) And we have a document that we believe in. Are you willing to open up your life now to His grace? We're going to participate in Holy Communion. And that's a guaranteed way to receive His grace if in our hearts we're feeding on Him in faith. 
You see, the means are not enough. It's the end who we're looking to. The end is Jesus. If you're not doing this for Jesus, you can do the means all day long. But it's Jesus. Is your heart for Him? Is He living there in you, glorifying Himself in your own life? If not, if not, you can break the ties of sin today. Ichabod doesn't have to be labeled across your heart. Instead, the Spirit can rend the heavens and come down. Yes. I'll share this and I'm done. There's a song out that I really like. And I just got on the move, but there's another one. <laughs> like a tidal wave crashing over me. Rushing in to meet me here. That's how His grace works. It's a tidal wind. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, February 17th, 1999, tidal wave. Blew all kind of stuff out of my life. Overwhelming. Like a hurricane that I can't explain. Tearing through the atmosphere. I love that. I need God. I don't know about you, but I need God to tear through my atmosphere some days. My atmosphere is dreary with a chance, a good chance of thunderstorms. I need Him to tear through that and bring His joy and love and happiness and freedom. So let freedom ring in your life today by the power of the Spirit. Amen.